Okay, let's get right into it because today's broadcast is going to be a little different than our usual podcast. I'm not going to be commenting on news of the day. In fact, if you noticed, we're starting to line up programs in the future that may talk about larger issues. We're still going to speak about issues of the day and things that are happening as a way to uh, juxtapose the importance of what we will be discussing uh, to uh, the issues of the day. But like, for instance, Joe Biden making a complete fool of himself in his overseas trip. But we'll leave that for the other news agencies. Yesterday, I gave you a window into what we're going to be discussing next week as we discuss the corporate woke culture and the PC culture that has now utilized the role of stakeholders to the detriment of shareholders in corporate America as a way to foist upon the public social engineering and an agenda that most Americans disagree with. As the last election was in the opinion of many listeners of this program, stolen by reasons and methods we have discussed in depth on this program. I thought that today might be appropriate, as a little bit of a segue into the weekend, to discuss our electoral system, because the electoral system itself has been under assault in the United States for a number of years, with the Democratic Communist Party of the United States totally opposed to the Electoral College, which is a process that they have manipulated to a certain degree to themselves. But what is the Electoral College? What constitutes it? Why does it exist? And why are so many people against it? The critics of the Electoral College system argue it's less democratic than a popular vote, and that the college violates the democratic principle of one person, one vote. Thus, a president may be elected who did not win the popular vote, as occurred in 1824, 1876, 1888, 2000, and 2016. Although I can debate that issue about 2000, and I can certainly debate the issue of 2016 because it has been argued that there were approximately two to three million fraudulent votes cast in the state of California, which would have shifted the popular vote back to the winner, Donald J. Trump. But let's get to the Electoral College system itself. Everybody seems to talk about one person, one vote. Well, the one person, one vote theory uh, has not been eliminated by the Electoral College. If you go to places like England and other countries in the world where they have a parliamentary system of government, the way people get elected is by getting their party elected. And then the party that holds the majority in the houses of parliament, they select Who's going to be the leader? They have to survive a vote of no confidence. In the UK, for example, a prime minister must call for election at least once every five years. Now, you may have heard the lower chamber of the House of Congress referred to as the People's House. That would be the House of Representatives. And that is where one person, one vote is brought to fruition. You vote directly for your congressional representatives in the House of Representatives. And the more people you have in your state as a consequence of the census, the more representation you get in the people's house, the House of Representatives. That seems eminently fair. In the state of California, for instance, there are 54 of the total 270 electoral delegates in the country in that one state because of the population of that state. In Texas... There are 40 
and it's probably going to increase because of the census. In Florida, there are now 30. Do the math. You can see the population moving from the snow belt to the sun belt and how important these states are. But does that mean that because a huge majority of the people that live there constitute a substantial portion of the country's population, that people who live in the hinterlands in a very, very different way of life, in very different climatic conditions and social customs, should be ruled and forced to submit to the desires of people in a few states? No, it doesn't. Because this is a democratic republic. It is a constitutional republic. It is a group of states, and each state has its own sovereignty. And so the framers had to come up with a way to give due deference to those entities known as the state governments. And that's where the Senate comes in. Now, those of you millennials, Generation Xers, and people who are being educated under our current educational system, which is garbage, for the most part, the public school system, uh, have not been educated in this area. You think that the Senate is just another House of Representatives only with more power and fewer representatives because we all vote for them. But that's not the way it always was. Up until the early part of the 1900s, senators were not elected by the people. And there was a good reason for that. They were never meant to represent the people. The senators were meant to represent the states as entities, as sovereign entities. And under the Constitution of the United States, each state is equal. Their influence, their right to have a say-so in the affairs of the federal government is not based on the population. It's based on them being a sovereign state. So whether you're living in the state of California with 54 electoral votes by virtue of the 33 million people that live there, or whether you're living in the state of Vermont with less than half a million people living there, and virtually no electoral votes, except for three, you get two senators. And those senators were chosen by the legislatures of those states. We've already had a serious erosion of the electoral college system based on the perversion that these senators now are elected by the people. And that's where the danger, the danger enters the picture. Because now we have representatives like Bernie Sanders and other kooks have an equal influence with people that are really more mainstream. So the Electoral College is a very good thing, not a very, very bad thing. It's a way to give a balance to the will of the people and the sovereignty of the states. And collectively, those things come to pass in the presidential election. Every party when he wins his delegates in the primary, gets a slate of delegates. And those delegates win, uh, vote for whoever is accorded the votes in that state. And that's why it is a winner-take-all. A popular vote determines who wins the state, but who wins the state gets all of the electoral votes, with the exception of a few states that have decided to already, of their own volition, weaken the effectiveness of uh, the Electoral College, one being Colorado, the other being Maine, where they apportion the electoral votes, which defeats the very purpose of the Electoral College. But there is another often overlooked benefit of the Electoral College uh, that isn't often cited by those who are proponents of it, and it is 
widely unknown by those who are opponents of it. And that is, it assures us that whoever wins the presidential election will have a mandate which is absolutely necessary for a person to govern. In other words, it ensures that one candidate receives at least 50% of the vote, or in the few cases when uh, that hasn't happened, very close to 50% of the vote. But juxtapose that to what would happen if we didn't have an electoral college. Now, supposing we didn't have to have a nominee from a party, and suppose that everyone was just going to run. Now, Ross Perot was the most successful third-party candidate in the history of the country. And yet, even though he won something on the order of 18 or 19 million votes his first time, he didn't carry a single state. So he didn't earn a single electoral vote, despite carrying all those millions of popular votes. So if the Electoral College were eliminated and all you needed to win was the popular vote, do you know what our presidential elections would look like? We would have three, four, five, six candidates running for office. And how would you feel if the candidate who won won because he simply had 22% of the vote and all the other candidates collectively made up the other uh, 88% or uh, 78% of the vote. And the one who won was not someone you voted for. In fact, the person who wins with 22% of the vote would effectively be someone who 78% of the country voted against. A man or a woman can't govern under those scenarios. A person has to have some sort of a mandate. So the Electoral College solves and eliminates far more problems than it creates. In fact, I'm of the opinion it doesn't create any problems. As I've just explained to you, it truly discharges the original intentions of our founding fathers. It ensures us that we're going to have a chief executive that has a mandate to govern. It ensures that the people themselves will have an adequate voice through their election of representatives in the House of Representatives. And it ensures that each state, as an entity, is represented at the federal level by virtue of the Senate. In fact, if I have any criticism of the current state of affairs, is that I think we should go back to the way it was. Senators should not be elected by the people, because they were never put into the Constitution to represent the people. If you're going to have senators elected by the people... It's basically a second House of Representatives. There's no purpose for the Senate. The Senate was there to represent state governments. Therefore, the state legislatures should be the ones to select those senators. And I believe if they did, we'd see a very, very different United States Senate today. For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.